This week I've been, I've been waking up with this song in my head. And, uh, and, and I just, on Thursday afternoon, I emailed um, Amy and I said, this is an old song, but could we actually sing it? And uh, the band pulled a bridge of a song in there. Uh, it's a bit of an old vineyard song, but when you call my name, you know, and um, I just feel like that song is going to set the scene for the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. Because um, I believe is calling us. God has called us, and He's called us to purpose. And if you've met Jesus as your personal Savior, then you'll have met with His purposes. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's purpose, the big what in Paul's life, you know, the, the what he was about. And, and um, I think often in life, you, you catch vision... You're not always taught vision, but you catch it when you're around passionate people. Would you not agree? You know, when you're around someone who's passionate about something, it is contagious. It does get under your skin, and suddenly the passion of so-and-sos starts to become your passion. And so as we come to Scripture today, I want to expose us as a church to the passion of Paul. And I hope that as we hone in on this little bit, because I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you, I've got five pages of notes, and I, and I don't want to do five pages of notes. I want to hone in on Paul's primary passion. And hopefully, it'll grab us. It'll get under our skin. It'll do something in us, okay? And so I've got this picture in my head, and I've had it this week, is that, you know when, when ships are sunk sometimes, for whatever reason, shipwrecked, whatever, you know, then, then what the divers do is they put ballast underneath the ships, don't they? And they inflate the ship and then brings the ship out of the water. As we look at Paul's passion today, my prayer is this. The Holy Spirit is going to put ballast under some of the things that you have set aside. Some of the things, this purpose this vision that God may have given you many years ago for some of us who are a little bit older in the tooth in terms of faith, I believe that God wants to put the ballast of the Holy Spirit under you today and He's going to bring something to the surface. And then for some of us, we're new to faith. We've only met Jesus recently. And I tell you what, I just sense today God's Spirit's going to come on you in power. I've got to hold it together today. Because I'm passionate about this stuff that Paul is about to talk about. Okay, so let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So as we look at, what is the what that governs your life? That's the question. What is the big what? What is the big purpose? That you bring all of your decision making, all of the things that you're about, and you bring it under the big what of your life. And then you, in the light of that, you start to make decisions. And it shapes how you do life. So we're going to talk about the what and the how, okay, of Paul's life and ministry. Look at this. In, we're going to jump, we're in chapter 9, but we're going to jump the first sort of 14 verses. And we're going to come piling in on uh, verse 15. This is what he says. It's going to come up on the screen. I think the translation is, is, is the same one. This is Paul. But I have not used any of these rights. 
Okay, so just a sec, really quickly. He's talking to the church about the, he has a right as an apostle to a whole bunch of things. And he is not using those rights because he says, actually, some of those rights need to be pushed out of the way because I'm living with a bigger and more important priority in my life. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, as an apostle, and if you read the first 1 to 15, you'll notice it's about finance. He said, as an apostle, just like Peter and John, I could take my wife on a trip. You know, I could come to you and I could ask you for financial support. But I'm not doing that. And the reason why he's saying I'm not doing that is because there was people peddling sort of new philosophies in Corinth and they were doing it for money. So even though he has the right to receive financial support from the local church, he says, I don't want to take that right because I know there are people in Corinth who are a bunch of cynics who go, oh, you're in it for the money. And so he's going, no, 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 no. I'm not in it for the money. My greatest priority is that my life, anything I do, and, and, and even though I have the right for money, I'm going to not... Ask for it because I want to make sure that the world knows there is no ambiguity about my, um, about my motivation for preaching the gospel. Okay? But he's, so how does he get to that? He gets to that conclusion because he has a higher priority. I don't want anything in my life to hinder the work of God through me. And we're going to see that the big what is all about the gospel for him. And bringing people to Jesus. That was the first line. Okay. <laughs> oh. oh dear. Okay, but I've not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. But yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast why? Because for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have, re I have reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge so that, so, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. And then... So he's setting the scene, and we're going to look at the what, okay, out of those few uh, verses. Then he says, but though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. That's a bit odd. I'm free, and yet I'm a slave, okay? It's very interesting. We have been set free to do something. Jesus has set us free, but we are now bound to him and his purposes that's what he's saying to the jews i became oh sorry let's back it up again and um, i make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible there's the what to the jews i became like a jew to win the jews to those under the law i became like one under the law though i myself am not under the law as so so as to win those under the law to those not having the law, or the Gentiles, I became like one, not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. 
And to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Five wins and a save in that little bit there. You know, it sounds like a football match or something, doesn't it? So, his purpose is to win and to save. 23. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel and that I may share in its blessings. You know, when you read that passage, I don't know about you, but this week I've been reading this passage over and over and over. And you just cannot escape this heartbeat, this passion, this theme song to Paul's life, can you? It's just all over what he's saying. I am utterly compelled to tell people, to bring people to know Jesus. It's the, it's the blood in his veins. It's the, I don't know, the beat in his heart, in his chest. It's the breath in his lungs. It's everything to him. And as you read that, you begin to start to catch something of this, the sheer passion that Paul has for the purpose that God has set him to. Now, for some of us today, kind of as we go through this little bit, one of us to be asking, oh, wow, what's my core? What's my big what hanging over me or in me? What is that thing that God has said to me and called me to? What is it? And for some of us, we might be going, I know what it is, but it scares the pants off me. Can I just say, I think it scared Paul. For some of us, we're like, I actually, I, I don't quite know what I'm called to. What is that overriding theme? I think this, press into Jesus. Spend time with him. Listen, the more you meet with him, the more he'll reveal what he wants you to specifically be about. We're all called to worship God. We're all called to pursue him and to honor him. And we're all called to witness for him. But in that, I'm sure there'll become some specifics as well for some of us, how that outworks. Let's look, look at how he communicates this passion and this calling. He uses, look at the language that he starts to use in, in, uh, in verses 16. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast for I am compelled to preach it. And then he goes on to say, woe to me if I don't. And I'm discharging that which has been entrusted to me. Paul is bursting, isn't he? I don't know what the image you have of this man, but what I see is that this guy, if he doesn't do what God has called him to do, he's going to implode or explode. You know what I mean? There's something incredibly powerful going on on the inside of him. The Amplified Version says this, For if I merely preach the gospel, that gives me no reason to boast, for I feel compelled of the necessity to do it. Woe, to, woe is me if I do not preach the glad tidings of the gospel. See, for Paul, this is the greatest news humanity could ever hear. How can I hold back 
on this news that saves lives, literally, that heals hearts, that pulls people out of despair and fear. I don't know about you, but whenever I've heard great news, really good news, I mean, I'm rubbish at secrets. I'm sure that you know, some of you knew that already, and you're like, don't tell James. He'll tell everybody. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? When you have, you know, this, this brilliant news, and you've been told to keep it a secret, oh, it's agony, isn't it? Woe to me. I'm desperate to tell. You know, maybe some of you, know, because there's been quite a few babies uh, being born, you know. But I remember when me and Tor, you know, uh, Tor got, well, I was going to say we got pregnant, you know. Well, you know, you've got to enter into that, those things. And uh, so Victoria was pregnant with Indy. And, uh, you know, it, but it was early. You know, it was like nine, eight or nine weeks maybe. But we were like, oh, we've got to tell. So we thought, well, we've got to tell. You can't just tell one set of parents. Because that just would be like wrong, wouldn't it? You get, you get definite sort of backwash on that. So, so we told her mom and dad, and then I phoned my mom and dad. Now, my mom listens to these sermons. I got in serious trouble, by the way, the other week when I talked about my mom. And, and remember, we talked about sex like this. <laughs> I got a text, I got an email saying, James, got to have a conversation about this. <laughs> so I'm going to have a word with uh, Chris and the guys who edit the sermon. So anything about my mom, we got to like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but so we, we, we phoned mum and dad up and we said, got some great news. Great news. Guess what? We're pregnant. Mum was just like, wow. And then the realization is going to be a grand. You know, so it's like that brilliant. Oh, I'm old. <laughs> kind of moment. But anyway, she's like, brilliant. This is fantastic. And I said, mum, bad news also. What's that? You can't tell anyone. And it's, that is a rotten thing to do to a parent. I'm sure one day we'll be in that place. Mom, great news. Can't say a word. Well, my mom and dad are really bad at it. My dad's almost as worse than my mom. You know, if he's bought someone a Christmas present, he's like, I've got you something really good. You know, he just, you know, he's the kind of guy, you know, he's just hinting, you know, but not telling. He's rubbish at it. So, so my mum and dad started to tell us about the times where they'd be like, you know, because we had friends in Inverness as well, we're connected to a church up there years ago, and they'd be bumping into people, and they'd be like, oh, you'll never guess about our James. And then she's like, oh, oh, nothing, you know. And she's like, oh, rewind, you know, because it's in her. She's like, oh, this is great news. I'm compelled. I want to. I'm desperate to tell the world, you know. Anyway, 12 weeks because we did the scan thing. Everything was looking good. Little heartbeat. We're like, okay, we can tell the world. Phone up mom. Mom, good news. Yeah, what? You can tell anyone you want. And I'm not jesting. I think within three hours, I mean, we were having emails, texts, smoke signals, I mean, the lo- from, from, you know, across the universe, from outer space, aliens were going, we've heard! You know, it's brilliant. Paul is utterly compelled because of what Jesus did on the Damascus Road. Here is a man who is utterly hell-bent 
on eradicating this embryonic movement of Christians. These men and women who have fallen in love with Jesus and are beginning to transform Jerusalem and Judea with His love and His power. And everywhere they go, stuff is happening. Paul is hell-bent on putting the pan on it and doing everything in his will and his power to stop that movement happening. And he believes it's the will of God that for him to go and do that. How incredible is Damascus Road when he's off to Damascus with a note in his hand from the chief priests, you know, to get soldiers to go and to start arresting the Christians in Damascus. And lo and behold, as he's going up that road, bright light. Jesus arrives. He's blinded by the light. He falls on his face. And Jesus is like, you had a plan, Paul, but my plan is a better plan and you're actually going to be a part of it. So you're not now going to Damascus to kill and to destroy what I'm about. I am now employing you as my ambassador. What a turnaround. I mean, can you get your head around the grace and the mercy? I'm going to go and kill Mike Waldridge because he's a Christian. That's the kind of thing that Paul was about. Mike, I'm just picking on you because I know you can take that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Actually, Mike might jump up and do Hong Kong fooey on me and sort me out. But, you know, but, but, you know, that's the level of it. And then it's like Jesus is interjecting and hijacking his plan. And so he experiences. Can you imagine that moment of just thinking he's doing God's will and suddenly Jesus is going, dude, oh my gosh, you have got this so wrong. Gets all kind of godfather on him. You mess with my family, I'm messing with you. You've been persecuting my friends, my kids, my people, Paul. And so he lives with the Damascus moment on a daily basis. You see that? Is that mercy that he felt on that road back then is like he's alive in him on a daily basis. And it's compelling him, if God can do this for me and turn my life around from despair and anger and hatred to loving people, oh my gosh, this is news that everybody has to hear about. If he can do this for me, he can do it for you. And he's living with it. And some of us in this room, when we encounter Jesus, know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you encountered Jesus, you also encountered a sense of commission over your life. When Jesus gets under your skin, everything changes. The direction of your life and the values in which you're going to live it. Paul is compelled. You know, even this week as I've been reflecting just on Paul's passion this sense of inner kind of compulsion to tell and to demonstrate the power of God. God it's been, I've been reflecting on it. And I'll be honest with you, I am deeply challenged. I've been a Christian since I was 17 and a bit. And I've had seasons where I have felt the compulsion, maybe not to the extent of Paul, but when, I, when, when God broken on me as a young 17-year-old. And it was all new and it was raw and beautiful and powerful. And 
I spent so hours just in tears looking at my mates who didn't know Jesus. And it would affect me. And I would go to bed and I'd say, Lord, I'm sorry that I haven't really told them about you today. Or that person in the street that I sensed you saying stuff. And I, I didn't do it, Lord. I'd go to bed and I'd be like, Lord, I'm sorry. The weight and the compulsion and the importance of the mission of God, I tell you, I felt it acutely to the point where we did the most ridiculous things. You know, I remember being in Inverness High Street, you know, with a group of really well Christians, and there they are with that guitar and their rainbow strap, and they're, you know, singing their songs, and I'm doing the chocolate box mime. I mean, I'm telling you, this was cutting edge. White gloves, the lot. But you didn't know I could do a mime, eh? But <laughs> You know, honestly. And this sketch was about, I get given a chocolate box. And I, and then. And once you start to eat the chocolate, it's like all-consuming. And before long, you're like ramming the chocolate in to the point where you're stretching the chocolate box out and you're getting into the chocolate box and you can't help eating all the chocolates. And then suddenly the lid comes down on you. Obviously, it's a picture of sin. And suddenly I am in the box. And I need to be set free. And obviously, Jesus comes along and does that. Listen, I was willing to look a right old numpty, you know what I mean? You know, doing things like that to cheesy music. Some of you are going, yeah, I did that. I thought that was cutting edge too. <laughs> I know. But you know what? There was something beautiful in the essence of willing to look silly. Because I, I wanted to see the kingdom come. I want to see people experience what I had experienced. I think over the last number of years, sometimes I have seasons where that comes. That sense of compulsion. That sense of this is so important. Paul's what is my what. Paul's purpose is my purpose. That's why we're doing what we're doing. It's the litmus test of my life, whether I was at work in the oil industry or in ministry. And there are times when I'm going, Lord, I know I am not doing as what I probably should be doing. Or, and actually, it's like he's putting the ballast underneath the things he said to me on my Damascus road. We are called, like Paul, you and me, in our... Whatever environment you're in, work, school, college, whether you're in ministry, full-time, paid, whatever. His purpose, His what, His governing principle of bringing people to win as many is, is ours. Maybe you're like me and you can feel the ballast. You know, oh, I know God's put some stuff in here. Sometimes I try and keep it there. But Holy Spirit, you see, this is the deal. We're a church that wants to press in to the work of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is a spirit of mission. 
It is the Spirit that comes on the church that forces us, compels us, not just to hang out in nice little enclaves like this. It compels us to demonstrate the love of Jesus out there. Look at the language. Though I am free, I belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone and to win as many as possible. Five wins there and a save. Listen, I don't know when you read that 19 through 22, 23, but the image that I start to get in my head is this. Paul saw himself as a messenger of God. You know, if you get a chance, go and read Luke chapter 15. It's a parable of a great banquet. And this king has pulled this banquet together and the, it's like the table is set, you know. It's a bit like a wedding banquet. You know, when you've got, you've got place um, your names and, and it, everything's perfect. You've got the big centerpiece and the grub is ready. You know, the waiters are standing. And the king's like, now go and tell. The, and, and he sends out the invites. And then he gathers his messengers together and he says, all right, guys, go get them, bring them in, tell them the, the meal is ready for them. And so they go out, don't they? And when you read Luke chapter 15, it says this. It says, as the king sent them out, he says, make them come in. Actually, a better translation is, compel them. Same word, compel them to come in. Convince them that this kingdom is for them. That this amazing banquet of life has been set before them and all they need to do is to come and receive. But we all know that some people need convincing. And also some people come from a variety of backgrounds and life experience. So what do I see? I see, I see Paul a bit like a guy who's gone to the banquet table and he's grabbing samples of the food. You know, you go to Costco. I quite like Costco. I mean, I can't believe I'm using this as an illustration of the kingdom of God and Costco. I mean, there's probably something wrong there. But, you know, I like going to Costco because you walk in, they give you a cup of coffee. I'm like, oh, fantastic. You walk around Costco, there are those little people. Little people? <laughs> Oompa <Lumpers. laughs> It's a bit random. But there are, there are these, these, these lovely people and they've got like trays of goodies, haven't they? Will you try one? Here. And you're like, hmm, lovely. And obviously they want you to buy their stuff. I think I see Paul, you know, commissioned by God on the Damascus Road. He's become the messenger and he's legging it into the byways and the highways with trays of goodies from the kingdom table. And sometimes that's a truth. You need to hear this truth. And other times it's a prayer. And sometimes it's a power moment and a healing moment because there's healing on the table. You see that? There's a kingdom moment. And it's like he's, getting, he's bringing samples of what's been put on the table and he's going, you've got to taste this. See, I could take a sample of the McCall's dinner table. Now, I know I can say this because it's good. It's real good. And I could take a sample of one of Graham's steaks. Let me tell you, if he ever invites you to have a steak, Go. It's ruined me. I'd never ask for steaks anymore anywhere else when we go out for tea because Graham McCall's steak has ruined it. It's so good. But if you could take that and go, 
Ben, taste the steak. He'd be like, oh, this is good. Where'd you get it? I got it from Graham's. I'm coming to Graham's. <laughs> you see, do you see the picture? Am I getting a bit like wound up and a bit, oh, okay. But this is what Paul is passionate about. But the reality is when you go, you're going to meet different kinds of people. And so Paul says, it's great to be passionate, to have this compulsion, the need. We have to go and do this. But all that raw passion needs thought. And it needs sensitivity. And dare I say, it needs flexibility if we're going to connect. And so then he has these three people groups. Do you see that? He says, I make my slave, myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, he says, this is his own people. To the Jews, I become a Jew again, in a sense. I become like a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, um, I become like one under the law. Okay. So, Paul recognizes. He has been called to go into the Gentile world. But you know what? He wants to see his own family come to Jesus, doesn't he? He not only wants to see those guys out there, but his own nation, his own people. He wants to introduce them to Jesus. How does he do that? And this is some homework for you, because we haven't got time to go into it all today. But you see, as you read the book of Acts, it's very clear. Whenever he goes into a city, it says, it says one of the first things he would do is he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. And if you read in Acts chapter 17, when he comes to Thessalonica, it says he reasoned with the Jews from the Scriptures. And so Paul wants to convince his own people of who Jesus is. The way he does it in terms of his method is he looks at the Torah and the promises of the Old Testament and he says, you and me have a common deal. And that we, we know the God story. And God has been revealing Jesus in the book. And look at all these promises from Moses. And look, Jesus is another David. All of these promises that we see in the prophets about a new king that would come and overthrow oppression and injustice. You see, the government will be upon his shoulders. We say that stuff at Christmas. He's convincing the Jews from their own story that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they've been waiting for. So his model is let's use scripture here and build it. Then it says, but we all, I'm called to reach the Gentiles, those not under the law. So he, the language it uses there is, I'm willing now. What does it say? To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's. And so he's flexible. Remember, he, he has the right to do certain things. He's still a Jew. You know, actually, Paul is a Jew, and he's still a Jew. But you see, when he's speaking to the Jews, he's saying, Jesus is the continuation of your story. So they get it. When it comes to the Gentiles, he does it slightly different. He proclaims the same Jesus. But when he rocks up in Athens, you know, 
and he's, he's waiting for his colleagues. You can read this in Acts chapter eight, uh, 17 as well. He's waiting for his colleagues to, to, to arrive. He's walking around the city and he's asking God, Lord, how do I connect with these people? He goes to the Jews in the synagogue to reason with them as he always does. And then it says, and then he went and preached, uh, reasoned in the marketplace. See, he's willing to take it outside of the religious structures of the day to go now into the public arena. And this marketplace was the place where People came to discuss everything and anything. And Paul's like, I need a voice. We need a Jesus voice in that place. And so he's in amongst it. And he's dialoguing, and he's talking, and he's challenging. And people begin to hear. These philosophers say, this is new. This is different. And they invite him into their sort of like um, philosophers gathering. And Paul gets the opportunity then to share more about who Jesus is. And his starting point is he affirms their hunger for truth and spirituality as a model. Listen, we live with people probably, you know, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods that are hungry to connect with the supernatural, with, with God. And so... To those people in Athens, he says, I see that you are very religious. I see that you're hungry for stuff of God. And so he starts from a place of affirmation. And he says, but you know, as I've been looking around this city, I see this. I saw an altar. And on it, it says, an altar to the unknown God. And so in their culture, there was a time. Something must have happened where they'd sacrificed all sorts to all these other gods, but not a lot was happening. And so they presumed this. There must be another god there that we're not appeasing. So they went to appease the unknown god. I think it was a flood or a drought. I can't remember which. And so Paul says, listen, I want to tell you now about that which you don't know about. I want to reveal it to you. And he says, that's the god of all creation. And as you read chapter, that chapter of Paul them dialoguing on Mars Hill, he pulls no punches, but he speaks their language. He even quotes from their own writings, but he brings it to Jesus. And he says that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the hunger in your lives too. You see, he's flexible. He's so passionate about reaching the lost. He's not using a formula. In fact, let's put it this way. Maybe he is. The formula he's using is this. He has one eye and one ear on God. And it's like he's got one eye and one ear on the environment in which he's at, in which he's in. And he fits the gospel to that environment. This is the how of the what of Paul's life. And then finally, it says, in, ah, to reach the weak, I'm, I'll become weak. Corinthians 2, it says this, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
Here it is. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise, with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. To reach the weak, Paul was vulnerable. See, Paul often, well, in fact, I don't think he ever portrayed himself as this incredibly strong leader. Other people may have, but he didn't. He portrayed himself as a man of weakness. I came to you in weakness and fear. In fact, other places he openly talks about being ill. I was ill at that time. Or, you know, I've got a thorn in the flesh. I've got issues that won't always go away quickly. You see, he's portraying a sense of vulnerability and weakness to the world. Why? I think there are a couple of reasons why. I think one is because really strong leaders that portray themselves as kind of all sorted are totally inaccessible to the rest of us, aren't they? You're like, well, you're on another planet. Are you an alien? I don't know about you, but I live in a world where things go wrong and I get sick and actually standing up on a Sunday, I am in fear and trepidation. You might not think that, but I am. You see, Paul portrays himself as a weak, there is weakness in me, and actually in that, that is a powerful witness. There's an accessibility about a leader who's vulnerable and open. And I think in our witness to the world, when we are open about some of our struggles and our strifes and our weaknesses, unbelievers go, oh mate, I wrestle with that too. And then you've got an opportunity to say, but you know, God's grace is at work in my life. And, I, and things are changing and hope is coming. Let me pray for you and let's struggle and let's go through this together. Listen, I tell you, unbelievers get that, don't they? They go, wow, I thought I had to be all sorted before I kind of stepped into church. And you go, oh no, 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 <laughs> no, no. We start being sorted out, isn't it? We're in process. He's open about his weakness and his vulnerability because it created opportunities. And so he lands by all possible means. I want to bring people. Let them taste the kingdom of God. What's your what? And how are you outworking that? Are we doing it with flexibility? Why don't we stand?